Grace, mercy, and peace be to you this first Sunday in Lent from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. This life in Lent, or maybe we should speak about this life as a Christian. This life. What is this life for? Verse 1 of our epistle, working together with Christ, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Today we hear what is written in 2 Corinthians, and we learn that the true Christian follows in his life by the directives of his heavenly master. And there is no better example than the holy example of Jesus in the, in the gospel and as St. Paul to the Corinthians. In fact, it's not just your life. You might say it's your Christian life. You identify as a Christian. Your identity is Christian. And the first five letters of the word Christian is Christ. You are in Christ, not only in just the first five letters of your faith, but in Christ you dwell fully. And a true Christian follows his or her life by means of the directives of his heavenly master. What are these means? These means, Jesus says three times in today's gospel. It is written, it is written, it is written. What is this Christian life for? We know this by listening to what is written by Paul and what he says about his own life. In verse 6 of the epistle, Paul names the source of the Christian life it is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is exactly what is written. The Holy Spirit and not a different spirit. Not a different spirit from the one you have already received, saith the Lord. It is also written... Just as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. A different spirit, any different spirit, is an unholy one. What are these different spirits in your life? Do you believe in karma? Do you believe in sending good karma? Do you believe that bad karma will come around to bite someone? Have you ever sent good vibes to someone? Maybe not. Maybe you don't believe in karma. Maybe you don't believe in good vibes. Have you ever wished someone good luck? These are different spirits. Or maybe, have you ever thought that 
You just had a hunch that something was going to happen in the future. Or have you ever thought of yourself or someone else to have more intuition than you? It can go as far as a way of telling the future or even a way of talking to ghosts. These are different spirits. But they're not always so obvious, spirits like these. Now, the devil's identity was obvious to Jesus during his temptations. But you're not Jesus. Another spirit may even come along, not so obvious. Another spirit may come along and proclaim a different gospel, saith the Lord. False spirits come with false words. And the most common false spirit in this age is you can save yourself. God and Satan actually agree on something. You cannot save yourself. The devil knows it. He just doesn't want you to know it. God knows it for sure, and for centuries, for millennia, he has told you about it. And for the past 1,300 years, men have been directed to swipe ashes on your forehead to remind you that you cannot save yourself. I'm sorry, but no, karma will not even save the day. Good vibes or even... Good luck does no one any good. Hunches, intuition, and false teachings about Jesus are deceiving spirits. And these are all spirits, most definitely. They come with words. But these are not of the Holy Spirit, and therefore they are unholy. These spirits are products of the devil's deception. It is written, just as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. There are so many false spirits of the world. They're uncountable. If you to take, let's take all these uncountable false spirits of the world and let's compare them to the one holy spirit. At first glance, the Holy Spirit seems to be outnumbered by the spirits of deception. And the Holy Spirit comes with the Holy Word. One Bible, seemingly outnumbered by the collected wisdom of the world. But the Holy Spirit, the one Holy Spirit, works in a way that no other spirit can. To begin with, the Holy Spirit has been given to you by Christ himself. In your baptism, in his word. The Holy Spirit is dwelling fully inside of you. Indeed, the Holy Spirit, right this second, 
permeates your body and soul. And with faith and repentance, all your sins are forgiven. All your former sins of clinging to karma or luck, or clinging to the power of your own intuition, these sins are swept away from you. You could have trillions of these sins, these sins of false spirits, and each one of these sins deserving death. But it only takes the one Holy Spirit, who is God himself, to tell you that you are saved. How? It is written. The Holy Spirit need only say the word. He calls you to repentance in the writings of God. And he calls you to the gospel for the sake of Jesus Christ. So in your Christian life, how does the Holy Spirit restore your life? He just says the words. And the words do what they say. And they say what they do. You have sinned. You are forgiven. And now, as Paul says, work together with him. It is written, it is written, it is written. The Holy Spirit is the power of God himself. And since the Holy Spirit dwells in you, then the power of the Christian life is the power of God himself. Because, well, of our own willpower, we would have not even gotten out of bed this morning to come to church. Think of it. You could be at home relaxing right now, drinking your coffee, reading the comics, going out to breakfast, or just sleeping in. But by the power of God, it is written, you live in Christ. For Christ was crucified in weakness, but lives in the power of God. For we also are weak in him. But in dealing with you, we will live with him by the power of God. You will live with Christ. Not only in the hereafter, not only in eternity, but also here. You live with him in word and sacrament. Why did you come to church this morning? By the same power of God. The hand of the Lord has guided your family into the pews in which you now sit. And you receive forgiveness, life, and salvation. Sitting in that pew is how your Christian life begins to be directed by your heavenly master. Work together with him then, says Paul. It is part of the Christian life. Just as love is. The Christian life is a life of genuine love. That's what's written. Why does Paul call it genuine love? Genuine includes 
meaning that it is not missing any of its intended parts. For example, you cannot have genuine love without discipline. Love without discipline is not genuine love. If you love your child and you do not discipline them, you're not lovingly preparing them for the future. So just as you tell your children to be pure, to be honest, to be patient, to be kind, God tells you the same. It is written. And out of God's love for you, you need to know when you're not being pure, when you're not being honest, when you're being impatient, or when you're not being kind. Love without discipline is not genuine love. Just as the gospel without the law is not the genuine love of God. You see, part of being directed in your Christian life has to include being redirected. Genuine love, as it is written, genuine love redirects you back to God to repent. And genuine love forgives you in complete mercy. And genuine love directs you in the correct ways of a Christian life. Part of this direction from our epistle is avoiding evil. It is written, Paul says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way so that no fault may be found with our ministry. Paul simply means that true Christians, like him, practice what they preach. They believe what is written, and so also they act accordingly. Here's why. When you believe what is written, you repent upon hearing your wrongs. When you believe what is written, you rejoice in the forgiveness of your sins. And when you believe what is written, you live your Christian life according to the written directives of your heavenly master. Part of these directives from Paul, written down for our learning, is that the Christian does not rebel at suffering. Instead, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, and hunger. Let me ask you, dear Christians, if you are serving God as a dear Christian and you begin to suffer, what do you do? For example, an example that hits home, your household may be Christian, but what about your extended family? What about your friends? Are you considered to be the weirdos in your family? Are you considered by coworkers to be the brainwashed Christian? Are you named by 
friends to be someone who could have had a better life. Now these things, they may not be saying them to your face, but I assure you, they are at least thinking them behind your back. You may find this unbelievable if you were raised Christian from birth. Ask an adult convert, though. Ask me sometime. Or better yet, ask what is written. What does the adult convert, Paul, say about this? What is his Christian example that we are to imitate? God says in his word through Paul that the Christian life is one of true joy, a holy optimism. We are not to rebel against the sufferings of this world in our reactions. Instead, react differently. And as God says in his word, the following reactions of joy and optimism are all part of working together with God. Joy and optimism, like, like heaping burning coals. As you may be feeling sorrowful, Paul says, yet always be rejoicing. That's his example. On Wednesday morning and Wednesday evening, many of you came here and had me swipe ashes upon your forehead. And I gave to you the stark reminder that to dust you shall return. The common reaction to that is one of sorrow. For you know that there will likely be suffering in the times just before you return to dust. Do not rebel this suffering. Your reaction to this reminder of death and the sufferings therein, it causes you to think that this wonderful life and all these blessings in it will all be over one day. Dear Christian, I ask you what is written. Will all the blessings of this life be over after you die? Will your Christian life come to an end? No. But upon your return to dust, what will come to an end? Suffering. Tears end. Pain is forgotten. Sins are forgiven once and forever. Blemishes erased by the blood of the crucified Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. For the true Christian, those ashes are a comfort. Rejoice in the suffering. Rejoice in the coming eternal life. Rejoice in the continued blessings of this life into the next in, in ways that we cannot even imagine. But we now return to the first question we asked ourselves. What is this life for? It's an important question because, well, now is the favorable time. 
Behold, now is the day of salvation. So while in this life, the true and sincere Christian applies all these things that are written to themselves. These things that are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. These things that are written for our learning, they are high goals. Let us strive for them, saith the Lord. Let us live up to our true identity. Let us not receive this grace of God in vain. Let us be Christians. What does it mean to be a Christian? It is written. It is written. It is written. Amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.